Gabe Miller here, and I want to personally thank you for checking out our podcast. And I also want to encourage you to click the subscribe button so that each week's message will automatically show up in your feed. Another great way to stay connected with this is on our website at yourimpactchurch.com and on all of our social media outlets at Your Impact Church. I hope this message today encourages you, inspires you, and challenges you. Let's jump into the message. Kim, we started a series going through the book of 1 Peter, or the letter of 1 Peter. And uh, we're taking five weeks and going through one chapter each week, leading us up to Easter Sunday. And here's what we know. Uh, just, just I'm not going to go into all the details that we went into last week uh, as far as the introduction goes. And I would encourage you, if you missed chapter one or part one last Sunday, to go on the podcast, listen to that. I think it'll be a blessing to you as we're going through God's Word together. But we know that this was written by Peter uh, the disciple of Jesus. It was about 30 years after Jesus went, uh, after he you know, was resurrected and went back to heaven um, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And uh, we know that the original recipients were primarily Gentiles in that time. And so uh, that's a good thing because unless you are you know, of, of Jewish background, then you are a Gentile. You know? And so uh, it's exciting to me to know and be able to read the things that um, that God's word speaks to, to us. And so we're jumping into chapter 2 today. And here's how it starts. I want to start in the first three verses. And we'll kind of take this in sections as we do. And we'll talk about it as we go. He says, so get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. And I, I love the first verse where Peter instructs us and he says, get rid of sinful behavior or get rid of evil behavior or remove these things from your life. And my question to you would be, how are you doing with that? Um, removing the things. And he even gives a few things in a list. And he says, hey, here are some things that really shouldn't be in your life. And he says, you need to uh, be done with certain things like deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, unkind speech, right? Deceiving others or uh, hypocrisy, which one definition of hypocrisy would be, you know, pretending to be somebody or, or saying one thing while you're doing another or there's something going on in your heart, but you're portraying yourself as if there's, you know, you're, you're perfect and you've got it all figured out or whatever. And I've mentioned this before, but I love uh, the, the fact that, hey, none of us are alone in this, that this is something that we all probably struggle with from time to time is uh, just, just a little bit, come on, what do you mind being honest, just a little bit of deceit, just a little bit of hypocrisy that you still st- struggle with from time to time. One pastor, I mentioned it before, he said that, uh, he said somebody, he was visiting somebody, he said, hey, we haven't seen you at church in a while, and he said, yeah, I don't want to be in that room with a whole bunch of hypocrites, and, and he told him, he said, well, that's all right, we got room for one more, <laughs> so just come on back, <laughs> you know, come on back and be a part of what God's doing, right? It's, look, I love what one pastor says. Uh, he says this statement a lot, a God that I like to listen to. He says that we're all just a bunch of imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. And uh, just seeking God and allowing him to transform our lives as we draw closer and closer to him. Uh, he talks about jealousy, you know, being, being rid of jealousy. Anybody struggle with, with jealousy? You know, you're just not content with what you have or what God's given you, but you're, you're jealous of what maybe somebody else has or, or what you see in somebody else's life and I think sometimes jealousy even turns into envy you ever had it go that far in your life where you were just envious you know you were almost scheming to figure out how you can get what they have uh, because you focused on it so long and you're just not content with what you have and then he talks about unkind speech or unkind words or speaking unkindly 
to other people. And what's, what's interesting to me, it reminds me of a verse, and what I hope this does for you at the very first part of chapter 2 is I hope that it stirs something in you that, uh, that you would allow the Lord to search your heart. That there would be a moment where you would say, Lord, is there anything going on in me? Is there anything that, that, that I need to, you know, to pray about? Is there anything that you want to remove out of my life that maybe is going on in me that you don't want there? It reminds me of what David prayed, and we've read this several times before, but it's in Psalm 139 where he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And look at what he says. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. When was the last time that you prayed and in your prayer time you said, God, point out anything in me that offends you. Anything in me that is not from you and that offends you, I don't want that in my life. I want you to remove that out of my life. I want you to help me uh, to develop your characteristics, to develop what you want in my life. And so I'm asking you to search me and know me. And as we put away these things that he talks about, deceit and hypocrisy and jealousy and unkind speech and all of these things, I think it opens us up. We can shift uh, to pursue things like honesty and integrity and commitment and kindness. Come on, kindness. Come on, I'm gonna say that again. Kindness. Come on, everybody, let's just all say it together. Let's just all say it like we mean it. Just say kindness. Being kind to other people. Being kind to other people. Not allowing maybe even what people have done to you or said about you to, to you know make you jaded, but that you still have a heart that, is, is pure in the sense that you can still be kind to other people. And Peter, he, he makes the point in verse 3 that these people had tasted of the Lord's kindness. Come on, anybody tasted of the Lord's kindness? The Bible would tell us that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. You know, I think all of us, if we're a follower of Jesus, we would be able to say, you know what, I do, I, I've tasted of the Lord's kindness. I know how good he is and how kind he is. One, one summary said it this way. He said, here Peter pinpointed an insight for helping us resist sin. We can live godly lives because we have tasted of God's kindness. To the extent that we experience God's love, which often comes through our relationships with other people, we won't want to sin because we will, be, we will see that it isn't good for us and that it doesn't satisfy our longing for God's love. This takes the focus off of improving outward behavior, which is more the result and puts it on seeking to experience more of God's kindness. We can come to him with all our needs, and he will fill our hearts with the love that we crave. One thing that this, this uh, individual said that stuck out to me was right there in the middle, that to the extent that we experience God's love, which often comes through our relationships with other people. Anybody ever experienced God's love through relationship of somebody else in your life? You ever experienced God's love and you look back on a conversation, you look back on a friendship, you look back on a relationship with somebody and you thought, man, they showed me what it looked like to be loved by God. I experienced the love of God through that relationship, and through that friendship. Did you know that God wants to do that through you? That he wants you to be a conduit of, of showing people his love, people experiencing his love because they come into contact with you or they get in conversation with you? Or they get around you and they walk away. Would you say that people walk away from interaction with you thinking, man, I just experienced the love of God through that person. That's what God wants to do through your life. And I love that this writer, he points out that, that our experience of God's love, it often comes to other people. And so it begs to ask this question, are you giving others around you an experience of God's love? Are you in your life, when you're at work, come on, when you're parenting, when you're having conversation with your spouse, when you run into people in the, 
in the grocery store? Are you giving people through your life, are you giving people an experience of God's love when they encounter you, when they have conversation with you, when they're in relationship with you? And then he goes on, verses 4 through 8. He says, you're coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust in him, or trust him, recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. Um, I love in the first, first part of these, these verses, just a couple of things that stood out to me. Uh, when you look at it from a certain angle, a certain perspective, uh, things that I think we can build our lives on that we need to be reminded of probably pretty regularly. And the first one is this, that we're acceptable to God because of Jesus. And we talked about this even some last week, that it's not anything that we could do to make ourselves acceptable to God or right with God. It's because of what God did by sending Jesus to take our place. And that's how we're made right with God. And, and I put it this way, that we are imperfect humans who cannot reach God's standard. That we can't jump high enough to reach God's standard. You know, we can't, we can't do enough things to reach God's standard. But thank God for sending Jesus to live this perfect sinless life and die in our place. And it reminds me of Romans chapter 5 where it says, that, But God showed his great love for us, look at this, by sending Christ to die for us while what? While we were still sinners. Not after we got it all together. Not after we had life figured out and we figured out how to live perfectly and we just had all of our ducks in a row and we had read the Bible for seven days in a row. No, he says that he showed his love for us that while, while you were still in your sin, Jesus had already died for you. He had already given his life so that one day you could come into right relationship with God whenever you place your trust and your faith in Jesus, whenever you believe on him. Here's the second thing that I think we see is that Peter words it this way, that we'll never be disgraced if we trust in Jesus. How many of you know that if you trust in other things, there is a chance that you will be disgraced or there are consequences that we face in life sometimes because we placed our trust and we placed our hope in other things. But Peter says, hey, those who trust in the Lord, those who put their trust in Jesus, they'll never be disgraced. They'll never be disgraced. And I think we can build our lives on some truths as we serve God. And at the end of this section, Peter quotes from Isaiah 8 and verse 14. And he, he tells us that these people were fulfilling prophecy by stumbling because they did not obey God's word. It said like it was already foretold, hey, there are going to be people that when Jesus comes, they're going to reject him. They're going to reject him. And it says, he tells us, he goes on and he says, they stumbled because they didn't obey God's word. Now let's put this in our context. In our context, we have the entire Bible. We have all of the scriptures. How many of you have ever had a moment in your life when you stumbled because you didn't obey the word? Anybody ever had a moment in your life when you're like, if I would have just done what I read this morning, 
in my quiet time. My life today would have been so much better off if I had just done, but I just decided to do it my way. And in the moment, I got frustrated, and I just did my own thing, and I ended up with consequence or ended up stumbling along the way because of my disobedience to just what God's Word says. You know, James would tell us you cannot be just a hearer of the Word. I would even say you can't just be a reader of the Word. You have to be a doer of the Word. It's being a doer of the word that makes all the difference. I love Richard Halverson. He said this, A man can never be the same after hearing God's truth spoken in the power of God's Holy Spirit. And look at what he says. He will either obey and go forward or ignore and die a little. When you experience God's word, when you hear God's word, when you read God's word, like you really have two choices. Am I going to obey and apply God's word or am I going to not apply God's word. And we've talked about this before about making progress one year. Come on, it was the year 2020. Anybody remember the year 2020? Anybody familiar with the year 2020? So many people were talking about it. it's the year 2020, you know, it's the year of like vision. Perfect vision, you know, like 2020, we're gonna, and then, you know, two and a half months in, the world turned upside down, and we were like, huh, we didn't see that coming. <laughs> but that was the year we, we, felt like the word for that year was progress and we talked about how we're progressing in our faith and how there really is no such thing as standing still you're either moving forward and following jesus or if you become complacent and you decide to stand still you're actually falling back you know you're actually taking steps backward and we need to continue to obey the word of god and be in the word of god and continue to move forward and may we be people who read and study and obey god's word put our trust in jesus completely and fully, and then he goes on the next two verses, 9 and 10. He says, but you are not like that. And I love that transition. He says, hey, there's some people that rejected Jesus. And it was fulfilling prophecy. It had been said, hey, this, the, the stone that was rejected is going to be the cornerstone that everything is built on, right? Everything, like Jesus is the cornerstone. He says, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. So Peter has just written about these people who stumbled, and it was prophesied like, hey, there's going to be people that are going to stumble. They're not going to obey the word of God. They're going to reject Jesus, but Jesus is the cornerstone that everything is going to be built on. That everything was created, you know, by him, through him, for him. And he's talking about these people that did, that, they're not obeying God's word. They've rejected Jesus. And then he shifts to people that are not like that. And Peter is telling them, and I think he's telling us today, he says, hey, you know, you as followers of Jesus, as Christians, as believers, like, you're a chosen people. You've been set apart. Right? You're, you're a royal priesthood. Like, we're ambassadors for Jesus. That God is making his appeal to planet earth through us, the people that are following him. The people that have placed our faith in him. And God chose us and he redeemed us by sending Jesus. And we don't belong to ourselves. We talked about this last week and we even read a, a, a passage in 1 Corinthians that even talks about even our bodies. Like we, don't, we were purchased with a high price. Can I ask you a question? What would it look like in your life for you to actually live like you don't belong to you, that you actually belong to God? What would it look like in your decision making to make decisions based on the fact that I don't belong to me, I belong to God? 
what would your marriage look like? What would your relationships look like? What would it look like? Like how, how would you live your life if you really believed, if you lived it out, the fact that I don't belong to me, I actually do belong to God? What if we started living our lives like we belong to God? And I love what Peter says is the result of these things. Because right there in the middle, he says, and as a result, and then he lists something, and I wrote it down this way, that because you've been brought out of darkness, because you've been brought into light, because you, you know, you're a chosen people, and, and, and God is doing something in you, he says this, he says, you can show other people the goodness of God. As a result, you get to show other people the goodness of God, which makes me think, what would it look like for me in my life to be able to say things like, Look at how God saved me, and you'll see the goodness of God. Look at what God did in my life, and that's going to be a testimony of the goodness of God. What would it look like? Like, Do people see the goodness of God? Are you, are you using or leveraging what God has done in your life as an opportunity to show others his goodness? To show other people around you how good God is. Well, look at what God brought me out of, and you'll see his goodness. Look at where I used to be and where God has brought me to now, and you'll see how good God can be. Come on, some of you have that testimony that one day you finally surrendered your life to Jesus, and the people that you were around and that you hung out with and that, that were in this lifestyle that you were in, there came a moment where they were like, I don't even recognize you anymore. And what would it look like in those moments for us to say, yeah, look at what God did in me, and that's a testament of how good he is. That's a testament of God's goodness, not my goodness. I mean, good grief, I can't get myself out of anything. I mean, it's the grace of God that has saved me and brought me from where I used to be into where I am. And we have an opportunity to show people the goodness of God. What would it look like to say, you know, look at the darkness of my previous life compared to the light that I live in now. And you're going to see God's goodness. Look at what God is using me to do. And you'll see the goodness of God. And we have this conversation every so often. And, and we'll just sit and think like, who are we? Anybody ever just thought like God was using you to do something and you just thought, who am I that God would choose me and, and equip us and equip, you know, like whatever it is that you do that God is using you to do? Man, that's an opportunity for other people to see the goodness of God in your life. Like, look how good God is that he took me out of this and set me over here and transformed my life. And he can do the same thing for you because he's good. It's the goodness of God. We could say it this way. As a result of what God has done for us, we have the privilege of showing others his goodness. Next couple of verses, he, look at verses 11 and 12. He says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors that even if, then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God who judge, when he judges the world. You ever found yourself, as a, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, you ever found yourself in a situation where it was like you knew you shouldn't be there? Even if you put you there? I mean, there was something like you were like, whoo, I know that I shouldn't be here right now. I know that I shouldn't be walking back into that right now. I know that I should not be walking into this temptation right now. I know that I should not be looking to worldly desires right now. And, and Peter gives this warning, and he says to keep away from things 
of this world, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. And it reminded me of, you know, because we, in, in this uh, struggle a lot of times where it's like, man, there's just, there's this desire. You know, Paul would tell us that the spirit and the flesh are at war against each other and we have to decide who is going to win. Am I going to win and just live according to my flesh or am I going, is the spirit going to win and I'm going to live according to the spirit's guidance and leading. But we have these desires, these desires on the inside of us. James would tell us that it's our own evil desires that lead us away and cause us to be tempted. You know, that we shouldn't say that God is tempting us, and a lot of times we like to blame things on the devil, and, a lot of, and, and really it's just us a lot of times. We have desires inside of us, and Peter's saying, keep away from worldly desires and the things that wage war, even against your very soul, and sometimes that seems like it's really difficult. I was reminded of a, of a statement that one pastor I listened to a lot that he says over and over and over again. He says, you got to remind yourself that God in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me. That even if, even if these desires start trying to raise up within me, God in me, come on, the Holy Spirit who came to live on the inside of me and resides in me when I gave my life to Jesus, when I surrendered my life and I got saved, that God in me is greater than the wrong desires that are in me. And some of us each day, whenever you're faced with something and there's a temptation, you feel that start to rise up in you, you just need to stop and say, no, God in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me. And I don't have to walk back into that. I don't have to go back. I don't have to go back into where I used to be. No, I can continue to live in the light. I'm not going back into the darkness. I'm not going to even just, I'm not even going to tempt myself to go back into the darkness. I'm not going to put one foot in the darkness and one foot in the light. No, God in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me and I can live for him today. Come on, that's good news today. I love verse 12. He says, to be careful and pay attention to how you live around your unbelieving neighbors, around unbelievers. And I was thinking about this, and I jotted down just some different things that came to my mind. To pay attention to how you live around your unbelieving parents. Come on, you might be a first generation Christian or believer in your family. And how many of you know it's important that you pay attention to how you live, how you operate when you're around people that don't believe. People that have not stepped into a relationship with God. Be careful to live like a Christian around your friends at school. Your unbelieving neighbors, your unbelieving friends, the people that are in your life, you know, at work, pay attention to how you live and treat the people that you work with. It really does matter. It really does matter. I think that we we ought to be a light. Come on, we've been taken out of darkness and we've been put in the light. So when we go into a dark world, we ought to light things up. We ought to light things up. When you get around unbelievers in your life, you ought to light things up. Come on, it might be a good thing if people in your life start getting uncomfortable that don't know Jesus when you come around. Not because you're trying to make them uncomfortable, but it's because you're sold out for God and I'm going to be light everywhere that I go. And even when I walk into dark situations, I'm still going to be light in this dark situation. And so if you, like, if you want me around, you're going to get light. Like, I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to be careful with how I'm living and how I'm treating people around me. Be careful to live properly among the people who seem to hate you or the people who seem to be out to get you. Come on, anybody ever felt like there was somebody just out to get you? Like, whoo, every time you turn around, it's like, there, there it is again, you know? How, what would it look like for you to pay attention and be careful with how you live around your unbelieving neighbors? 
people in your life, the people that you're in, you come into contact with, that you're living in such a way that it honors God. Jesus even said, let your good deeds shine out before men. Like, live your life in such a way that people will look and see your good deeds and they will glorify your Father in heaven. Not glorify you, glorify your Father in heaven. That when we're being careful and we're paying attention to how we're living around people who don't believe, Jesus said that the world, come on, we talked about this last week. We talk about this a lot because we really need to get this. We really need to figure this out. If we could figure this out, it would be a game changer. That the world will know that you are my follower by the way that you treat one another. So when they look in to people that claim to be Christians, that are following Jesus, and they see that we love one another, that the world will take notice, that unbelievers will take notice, that people that would be considered, like they're not following Jesus, they will take notice of how we love one another as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And as I was thinking about, you know, paying attention to, and the way that our lives, the way we live our lives around unbelievers and, and the people around us, how it matters, it reminds me of Daniel. And I don't know if you've ever read the story of Daniel. This is one verse that we talk about. If you've been through Next Steps, you've heard this verse. Um, if you haven't been through Next Steps and you go through Next Steps, you're going to hear this verse. We talk about this a little bit in Next Steps. But it's in Daniel chapter 6, and I just want to read verse 4. He says, then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. And to give you a little bit of context, if you've never read this story, is Daniel has been, you know, he's, he's, he's serving in a leadership role with other guys, and he so distinguishes himself by, by his characteristics that the king says, you know what I want to do? I want to put Daniel in charge even at a higher level. And so obviously, you know, there's, it's like you can imagine if you're working and you distinguish yourself and you get promoted to the next level and the people that you used to serve with or you used to lead with, that they are now no longer wanting to be your friend because now you've moved into maybe even the position of you're overseeing them. And this is kind of the situation that they're in. And so they start, they, I can imagine this, you know, they get in their little huddle. And they're like, we got to figure out, you know, like, do you like Daniel? No, I don't like Daniel. I don't like him anymore either. You know, at one time he was really good and we were kind of glad he was around. But now, you know, spit on Daniel. So they get together like we got to find something. And so they start looking for things like how can we how can we accuse Daniel of something? And they're looking and they're looking and they're looking and they're looking. And the story would tell us at the end, they finally decide, hey, here's what we can do. We've noticed that he prays all the time. So let's go to the king, let's get the king to make a law so that anybody who prays to anybody other than the king will be thrown into the lion's den. And so this is where the story of Daniel and the lion's den comes into play. But before all of that, these guys are trying to figure out how can we accuse Daniel of something. And here's what they discovered. They were like, we got nothing. He's faithful. He's trustworthy. He's responsible. I mean, there's not anything. And how many of you know it was important in that moment how Daniel had lived his life for the Lord around all of these other people. It really does make a difference. He had even gotten favor with the king because of how he lived his life. Peter says that it's important to live this way because even if people try to find fault in you, they will see your behavior, they'll see how you live your life, and ultimately it's going to bring honor to God. All right, look at verses 13 through 17. We'll read a few here and we'll talk about it. Now, and I have to, disclaimer, over the next few verses and even into next week, 
um, as we jump into to chapter 3 next week, um, we're going to be getting into a few areas where we're called uh, to do something. And it's a word that we all love. Come on, let's all say it together. It's the word submit. Submit. Come on, how many of you woke up this morning and you're like, you know what I, you know what I need, Lord? Just teach me how to submit today. Like how, how to submit in all these areas. And Peter goes through a few different areas in our lives where he says, hey, here's how you should submit. Here's how you should live your life in this way. So he starts in verse 13. He says, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king is head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you're free, yet you are God's slaves, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. Now, so here's the first thing, and I wanna, I'm going to pull this up. I want to read this in another translation as well because I think it, it kind of helps us wrap our mind around uh, what God's word is saying. Because here's the first submission that I think we see. It's submission to authority. Submit to authority. Submission to authority. This is in the Amplified Bible, and I want to read just a couple of verses here. He says, Submit yourselves to the authority of every human institution for the sake of, somebody say, for the sake of, not yourself, for the sake of the Lord, to honor his name, whether it is to a king as one in a position of power, or to governors as sent by him to bring punishment to those who do wrong and to praise and encourage those who do right. You know, you know why there's a call to honor, um, place yourself under, respect those that are in authority? It's for the sake of the Lord. How many of you have ever viewed it and you thought, you know, like you didn't want to do it because you were thinking about you? You didn't want to, you didn't want to respect and honor because you were thinking about you. He says, no, for the Lord's sake, here's what you should do. You should submit to authority. Now, a few things that I want to point out as he goes through this. He, he says things like, our freedom doesn't give us an excuse to do evil. We've talked about this because Paul even, you know, he, he addresses this a little bit too. Like, you've been set free, so live like you're free. You know, like you've been set free from sin and to live for Christ, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to just do whatever you want to do. You know, God's grace is not for you to just be able to do whatever you want to do. It's, it's to set you free from sin, and, you're, and then now you have the ability to live for God, to live for Him. He also says, you know, that God's will is that we live as followers of Jesus, and that as we live as followers of Jesus, we silence anything and anyone who speaks lies against us. And then at the very end of what we just read, I want to highlight these because this is in verse 17. What do we do as Christians, and it's almost like this, um, it's almost like this one-liner. As I was reading it, it was like, you know, he just makes these statements like boom, 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 you know, and then like moves on, you know, to the next, the next thing. And this is what he says. He says, respect everyone. So no matter who they are, we respect everyone. He says, love our brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't know if you've seen a theme throughout the Bible about loving one another. Can we just say that again? Loving one another. I mean, are you seeing a theme throughout like Jesus talking about loving one another? Paul talking about loving one another. Peter talking about loving one another. Like love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we talked about this some last week. He then makes this statement. He says, fear God. Fear God. I was telling my wife after a couple of weeks ago in the message on the fear of the Lord I sent her, even on Friday, I was reading in, in, in one of the Proverbs, 
And it was talking about fear of the Lord, you know, reverence, awe of the Lord. And I, you know, did a screenshot and sent it to her. And I was like, here it is again, you know. It's like after, hear, after hearing that and after focusing on that, you know, you ever, you ever buy a car and you think, like, I'm so excited I have this car. And then as soon as you get it, you notice that car everywhere on the road. It's that way with, with, with God's word, even this way. Like after that message, I'm noticing it everywhere. It's like be reading through scripture and stuff that you may have just missed or overlooked in the past. And it's like, oh, there's the fear of the Lord. Oh, there's the fear of the Lord again, right? It's this reverence, this awe, this respect for God and, and his holiness, his sovereignty. And then he says, and then he says this at the very end, he says, respect the king. Live with respect for authority. It does not mean that you will always agree with authority. Somebody say. Whew. But you can live your life with honor and respect for authority. And here's where the struggle is a lot of times. Whenever, whenever there's a tension there. Come on, anybody ever had this tension? Whenever there's a tension there, what we like to do. Can we just be real at church today? We like to get ugly. Anybody ever gotten ugly? Anybody ever gotten ugly on Facebook? Oh, is that too real? I'm getting in your Facebook account now. But here, here's what I would submit to you. What would it look like for you to respect and honor and pray for those that are in authority? Whoo, I don't agree with what the government is doing right now, and I promise you I'm not going to go on this political tangent, but instead of getting ugly about it, knowing that I can't really do anything about it, but God can do something about it, and God is the only one who can change a person's heart, and all of these things that I could keep quoting to you that are truth from God's word. So I'm going to pray for those that are in authority, and I'm going to honor and respect for the Lord's sake, for the sake of his name. Woo! Not for my sake. For his sake. Come on, I just set somebody free today. That it's for the Lord's sake, for the sake of his name. Peter goes on, the next three verses, starting verse 18, he says, You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. For God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. And here's the second thing, and I just took it right out of here. It's submission or submit to your master. What is a master? I think if you study the word master, it's talking about an authority figure. An authority figure. And I believe, this is my personal opinion, I think that the first part that Peter's talking about is those in authority. Like he's, he's mentioning kings, he's mentioning government, he's mentioning all these things. And I believe that this is even on a more personal level. This is the person that you come into contact. The wording, you are slaves must submit to your masters. This is the person that you come into contact with regularly. This is the person in authority over you on the regular. Like that you're encountering maybe even on a daily basis. It's talking about an authority figure. I, I, and I was thinking a parent could be an authority figure. All the parents said amen. A boss could be an authority figure. Someone who's been placed in charge of something or someone who's been placed in a position over you, that's an authority figure in your life. And a lot of times we like to base our respect for those in authority. Um, we like to base it on, on how they treat us and how we feel about them and, and whether or not we agree. But that's not what God's word says. 
And I know, come on, I know that's hard. That's hard. And I know that there is, there, like we, first of all, we submit to the authority of God above all else. We submit to the authority of God. But then there are, then there are, are people that are in authority over us that I believe we're called to honor, we're called to respect, and we're called to pray for. I think that part of honoring and respecting a way that we show that is by praying. Come on, sometimes we just need to pray so that God can give us the grace to continue to honor and respect and submit and trust the Lord through it all. No matter what the situation looks like, you and I, we can be people who show respect and show honor. Come on, be a respectful coworker. Be a respectful employee. No matter how you're treated, show honor, show respect. What would it look like? What would it look like in your life for if you ever left the job that you were at? That somebody would say, I don't know that I necessarily believed everything that they believed, but I wish I had them back here. Because they were such a hard worker and they always honored authority and they were so respectful and their co-workers enjoyed working with them and I didn't always see eye to eye with them and I know they tried to talk to me about Jesus and I wasn't quite sure about that yet. But I hate that they're gone because of the way that they honored and they respected and they worked hard. And what would it look like in your life for people to be able to say that? Come on, wouldn't that be awesome? But even in that way that you were a light where you were, that if the day ever comes when you're gone, that people will be like, whew, I miss them. I want them back here. Because of how they treated people and how they operated and how they worked and how they were respectful and how they were honoring. And Peter says that God is pleased when we endure suffering. And we would like for it to stop there. That God is pleased when we endure suffering. But there's one little word that he adds in there. It's that God is pleased when we endure suffering patiently. Woo, we don't like that. I don't like that. When we endure suffering patiently, when we recognize that, man, this is all just temporary. And so I can really, because I have the Spirit of God living inside of me and I'm following Jesus, I really can endure and persevere through things and I can do it patiently and I can do it expectantly knowing that this, this is not my home, that one day I'm going to spend eternity with God. But while I'm here, I can honor and I can respect and I can live my life in such a way that people look at my life and wonder, maybe even, how can they live like that with what they're going through? I don't know if I always believed everything that they said, but I wish that they were back here. Come on, wouldn't it be awesome if employers... This is just free. Wouldn't it be awesome if employers would want, like, like, what if job descriptions or job applications started saying, are you a Christian? And it was because they wanted to hire Christians. Because of how they honored and respect and worked hard. What if somebody asked you, was like, are you a believer? And it wasn't in a negative sense, but they were like, are you a believer? It's like, yep. You are hired. 
because I've had such great experience with believers working for me that I want to hire another one. I know this sounds silly, but I really believe, I really believe that it would be a significant way that we could change the world. Because then we get, we're around people and we're already, I mean, the fact that that would even be the case is already shining a light. Whew, be so good. Worship team, you can come back and help me. Chapter 2, it ends with these verses, 21 through 25. It says, for God called you to do good. Somebody say, do good. Somebody say it like you mean it, do good. Some of you aren't sure, it's all right. Even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. Jesus is our example, and we must follow in his steps. And look at how it describes Jesus. It says, he never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we could be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away. But now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. I just want to give you three really quick things that stick out to me as, as chapter 2 ends. The first one, I had you say it out loud, is do good. He says in verse 21, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. God called you to do good, even if it means that you may end up suffering for the good that you do. God has called you to do good. Do good to others. Do good for others. Do good to honor God. Do good no matter what the circumstance is like. God called you as a believer, me as a believer, to do good. The second thing that, that stuck out to me in this was when it talks about Jesus being our example. And one of the things it, it says about Jesus is that he never deceived anyone. Don't deceive people. Don't deceive people. Be authentic. If you feel like you have to deceive people into believing that you're a Christian, how can I say this and not offend you? You may need to check that. Don't, don't deceive people. I think about, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden and that, that Satan comes in and, and he deceives a little lie here, a little half-truth here, a little try to get you to believe this or try to get you to do this. Like, let's not be people who deceive. I want to be a man of my word. I want to be a woman of my word. I'm not going to misrepresent the truth. I'm not going to be a fraud. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be authentic. I'm going to be real. I'm going to be a real life Jesus follower. Not one that's pretending, but a real-life Jesus follower. And here's the third thing that stuck out to me. I put it this way. Give it to God. Give it to God. It says that Jesus didn't threaten revenge. We shouldn't either. When Jesus was insulted. I mean, my goodness, hanging on the cross. Father, forgive them. For they don't even know what they're doing. Jesus didn't take it into his hands in that moment. He didn't threaten revenge. And we shouldn't either. We can't just take matters into our own hands. We have to give everything to God. And Scripture would teach us that He's our defender. 
he's the only one who judges fairly. I don't know about you, but I'm not a good judge. I'm a little biased toward me. And so what what would it look like for you? Listen, what would it look like for you, whatever that person did, whatever that person said, whatever experience you've walked through, whatever suffering you might be enduring, whatever whatever's going on in your life for you for you to give it to God trust it trust it to God say God you are my defender you are more important I'm going to honor and respect and I'll trust you with this I'll trust you with this the only one who really really judges fairly and justly and I love the reminder verse 24 we'll end with this you can go ahead and stand to your feet I think we need to grab hold of this, and it just kind of seems like it slipped right in there at the end, but it's so impactful in our lives. And Jesus took our sins so that we could be free from sin and live for what is right, and by His wounds, we are healed. By His wounds, we are healed. That Jesus paid the price so that we could be free, not free to just do whatever we want to do. There's freedom in Christ, but my goodness, we're free from the bondage of sin the devastation of sin, the consequence of sin in our lives. And by his wounds, by what Jesus did for you, the wounds that he took, his blood, you are made whole. You are healed. I am healed. And so here's what I want to do. Our prayer team can go ahead and come down and I want to end in this way. I just want to pray. I just want to pray for you to be healed. I don't know if it's if it's mental healing, if it's emotional healing, if it's relational healing, if it's physical healing in your body. But here's what I believe. I believe God's word. And that the blood of Jesus is powerful. Do I understand why sometimes we pray for people to be healed and we don't see them healed right there in the moment or sometimes it's over time or sometimes you see it and it comes in eternity I I don't get all that that's above my pay grade but here's what I do know Jesus said ask and keep on asking and you'll receive seek and keep on seeking and you'll find knock and keep on knocking and the door will be open so here's what we do we keep asking and we keep believing we keep believing that God is who he says he is and that he can do and we trust him ask we believe we trust him and so that's what i want to do for you today and then we're going to open it up where you can receive prayer and we're going to worship together but we just bow your heads and pray and maybe if this is you as we're bowing our heads and, and closing our eyes and getting ready to pray and it's you and you know hey i need th- i need some kind of healing in my life some kind of healing in my body or my mind or whatever maybe you even want to just put your hands out like you're receiving something from the lord and just say god this is me this is me lord right now in this room in your presence so we know that you're here And Lord, we know that you are able. We know that you can. We've seen it time and time again. It's recorded in your word. God, we believe that you can. And so today I'm asking you to heal and touch in ways that only you can. Lord, that you would heal bodies physically, that you would go to the root of whatever the problem is, and Lord, that it would be healed right now in Jesus' name. 
Lord, that if people are struggling mentally, maybe with anxiety, maybe with depression, maybe it's a relational thing that's going on, maybe it's a marriage, maybe it's, it's with their kids, maybe it's with parents, whatever that is, God. Lord, would you do what only you can do? And here's what we say. We know that you can and we trust you. We believe that you're able and we trust you. And we ask you right now in this moment, would you heal our bodies? Would you heal our minds? Would you heal our relationships? In Jesus' name. And Lord, as we sing this last song, if there's anybody here today who needs prayer for anything in their life, Lord, I pray that you would draw them for prayer today in Jesus' name. Amen.